couple of weeks ago, the last time I was on Brian Kilmeade's fine show, One Nation, every Saturday night, 8 p.m. on Fox News, Brian Kilmeade's One Nation. We had uh, He had two guests that night. It was me and a young lady who was actually an opinion editor for Newsweek. And her name, and she's really smart and terrific girl, is Bacha Ungar Sargon. And I enjoyed doing the TV show with Bacha. And I said, listen, you got to come on my show because we're the best. And she said, I'd love to. So here she is, live this morning from beautiful Sheepshead Bay, Brooklyn, my new friend Bacha. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. I am so thrilled to be here with you. Good morning also to all of your listeners, all of these hardworking Americans who are listening to your show, and also good morning to my friend at the gym who listens to you every single morning. I used to work out at that gym. That gym that Botch is talking about years ago, when Curtis, I know you're listening, used to be Roller Palace, which was a hugely popular roller skating rink in Brooklyn. Everybody came from every borough to go to Roller Palace. Then it became Bally's. I used to work out there now, and it's still a big-time gym, yes? Yep, yep. It's 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 the hot spot for everybody everybody in the neighborhood. This is a great neighborhood. You know, there's a lot of middle-class people, working-class people, a lot of immigrants. It's like a really neighborhoody New York, old-time neighborhood. So it's yeah. the gym and it's Wheeler's Restaurant. Those are the two hot yeah, spots. Yeah, listen, I used to go to Wheeler's every Tuesday night. I used to go to Captain Walter's with my wife of 31 years, Danielle, every Thursday night. I used to go to Maria's for good Italian food on the weekend and of course, uh, Lundy's was in that neighborhood, and she said, Bay. In fact, when I first got married, we moved. I was living on Quentin Road. We moved to East 8th and Avenue V. And you know, of course, Bacha, that one of my really good friends in local politics, Inna Vernikov, she's the city council person. She's got a race coming up in November. That's her area, and it still remains one of the nicest areas in Brooklyn. Yes? I could not agree with you more. Well, let's get to the story that I started with there, the Joe Manchin cut, because I know you wanted to talk about no labels today. Joe Lieberman, also a good friend. He's uh, been uh, going after this now for the better part of a decade. I know Manchin was with John Huntsman out of Utah yesterday. Nobody really pays any serious attention to that third party. Although we've seen in the past guys like Ross Pro make a difference in elections what about the possibility of no labels becoming a player? And if they do, what are your thoughts, Bacha, on Joe Manchin? So, you know, I have two sort of competing thoughts on this. The first is more democracy is always good. What you're seeing right now is this panic from Democrats, the way they always panic when people are given more options and not being held captive by them. And so they're sitting here panicking that another party, another option for their voters, oy, 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 this is the end of democracy, right? They always call more democracy the end of democracy. They're, of course, wrong. More options are always good. A unity ticket is a beautiful idea. So much more unites us as Americans than divides us. But the two-party system, especially lately with all the polarization, has really hidden from view how much agreement there is among Americans. And so I love the idea of it. I will say when I read the party platform, I don't see so much of that consensus reflected because the truth is the the place, the sweet spot where there's so much unity happens to be in the socially conservative, economically more protectionist 
base, Americans want an economy that works for the American worker. They don't like free trade. They don't like open borders. They want the economy to be focused on good-paying jobs for Americans where they can support their families in dignity, but they're also anti-woke. So there's like a little bit from both sides. And this party platform, unfortunately, falls into that squishy middle where both parties were for a very long time of much more free markets, but also much more social liberalism and wokeness. And that's just not where it's at. In fact, the person who figured out most where the American consensus was, was Donald Trump. His platform really was in that space of socially conservative, economically protectionist. Unfortunately, he himself became so polarizing that a lot of working class liberals and Democrats didn't feel like they could vote for him, even though they agreed with him about a lot of things. You know, Batya Ungar Sargon joining us right here, once again, an opinion editor for Newsweek. You mentioned Donald Trump, and right now he's got what looks like to be an insurmountable lead over Ron DeSanctimonious, as he calls him, and the rest of the field. (laughs) He's going to win that primary and uh, run for president, excuse me, and be the Republican choice for president, but... In about a month, coming up on August 23rd, we are scheduled to see our first debate among the Republican nominees in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And Donald Trump has remained very steadfast in, I'm not going. I've got a huge lead, 50 to 60 points. Now, he does meet, I believe, two of the three criteria. One of it is, eventually, the Republican has to recognize whoever wins. And I'm not sure Donald Trump can do that. But he could be there if he wants to be there. He's not going to be there, at least as of now, what are your thoughts, Pacha, on Donald Trump not debating? I, I mean, I understand why he's doing it. He feels that he can only lose by showing up because he has this huge lead. It doesn't matter. He should show up and debate. I mean, his, his voters deserve to see him on that stage. They deserve to see him alongside his legitimate competition. So I, I get why he feels like he doesn't have to, but I, I would like to see him do it. What do you think? Do you think he should do it or you think he of doesn't Of course he, he should do it. it. I mean, look, yeah. he's, got, he's got such a big lead. It's not going to matter anyway. And secondly, one of the places where Donald Trump really shines is the debate stage. And he'll, yeah. he'll go up there, he'll, he'll, he'll throw out nicknames for, for Ron DeSantis. Now, he likes, he likes Tim Scott. He could throw a nickname for Nikki Haley. But the truth is, all these people should debate. You know, give, give the others an opportunity to expose you for either being really smart or not up on the issues. And he's got so little to lose, I would much rather he did debate. But like you said, I understand why he's not going to. But don't forget, this is only one debate. That doesn't mean somewhere down the road, Bacha, he wouldn't debate again. Right, right. There's always that option. I agree with you. I think he really likes Tim Scott. Tim Scott was the only person who ever got Donald Trump to apologize. Um, you know, he, he, he mentioned recently where there was an Epoch Times article suggesting that in, in the VP stakes, he was kind of thinking between Tim Scott and Vivek Ramaswamy. And I have to say, even though I think Vivek is closer to him, maybe ideologically, um, you know, there's something about Tim Scott's character that I think is so appealing. And I think he really is He's a lot of people's top second choice, so I think he'd be a great VP pick, although I personally think that Kathy Barnett would be the way to go if I were Trump. Yeah, look, Tim Scott's a very impressive guy and a great guy, and uh, but he checks the box, you know, yeah. and that, that's where I feel like you fall into that trap. He's black. And I know it's an uncomfortable conversation, but he's all the great things you want, and he's also black. He checks the box. Just like Carrie Lake is a female, just like Nancy Mace is a female, just like Barnett's a female. They're all very, very good, 
but they all check boxes. It's like we announced yesterday the new police commissioner of New York City, and if I hear one more time that Eddie Caban is Puerto Rican, I'm going to shoot myself. I just don't care. Give me a good VP. Give me a good police commissioner. I don't care what their race, gender, or nationality is. Is is it okay to say that? I think it's totally okay to say that. I personally really want to see black Americans feel like they get to make a choice in which party to vote for. Some of that is on them. You know, I really think the Democrats have been bad for them. And, you know, one hopes that more and more will see that. But, you know, there is a shortcut to doing that, which is to say a person you respect, a person who looks like you and the people around your dinner party has chosen this party in a very big way. Maybe there's something here for you. And because I want them to have that power of having that choice of having people compete for their votes instead of everybody assuming they're Democrats, I kind of do think that it's, I, I forgive them the kind of woke impulse for checking the box when it comes to this. Fair enough. Now, lastly, you are an observant Jew. I actually texted you Saturday afternoon, <laughs> and no surprise, you didn't text me till after Shabbos, which is great. And I have these conversations about Biden and Israel all the time. One thing about Donald Trump, which you cannot argue, you cannot argue, no president did more for the relationship with Israel than Donald Trump, moving the uh, Jerusalem, making that the capital, recognizing the Golan Heights as a part of Israel, not delivering pallets of cash to Hamas overnight like uh, Obama did. Trump was great to Israel. BB loved him. Not the case with the guy before him, Democrat Obama, and the guy after him, Biden. And there's been talk lately, especially from my friend Dove Heikind, that Biden should shut up. He's getting involved in Israeli politics, and uh, most of the folks that are really observant Jews in New York would rather he didn't. I'm interested to hear your thoughts on all this. You know, Biden has a very strong record on Israel, and I think that, you know, given the pressure within his own party, when you look at how much he's caved to the far left, I think it's really remarkable how little he said about Israel and how little he's, how how far he's gone out of his way not to comment on the current Israeli government, which, you know, of course, obviously I'm pro-Israel, I support Israel very much. Like you said, I'm an observant Orthodox Jew, but, you know, the current government is very extremist and, you know, an ally's job is not necessarily to get involved, intervene, make statements about that. At the same time, um, you know, the, I don't think you're going to agree with me about this, but, um, you know, I, 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 as a person who's very connected to Israel, it is hard to see where the direction that this current government is going in, even though I feel that they have a good legitimate case to in some way reform the judiciary as a person who believes in the separation of powers, because I'm an American first and foremost before everything else, you know, th- th- there's a lot going on there that requires, you know, a real Im- critical eye that is not extreme in any way in either direction, but it's honest. And I, I do feel, I have to say, I'm not a big fan of Biden, but I do think that it is remarkable given how much he's caved to the far left on every other issue. Look at immigration, for God's sake, right? Opening that border. When it comes to Israel, he really seems to me to have done a very good job of kind of towing the, the middle path there. So I, I haven't really been triggered by anything he's said yet, I have to say. All right, fair enough. Uh, there she is, folks. Bacha Ungar Sargon, once again, opinion editor for Newsweek. 